is our practice to stand for the reading of the gospel and for that gospel to be read in the midst of the people. This is God's word through whom he revealed himself, the word that took on flesh and dwelt among us. So these are the words of our Lord Jesus from the gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these words. Lord Jesus, thank you that you spoke them to us as your followers to remind us of your invitation into life with you. Lord, as we hear again the good news of your kingdom, would you remind us of who you are and who we are in you, that we might bring glory to you and you alone. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Okay, good morning. This morning, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, We're going to pause on our series in Matthew, which is, uh, I've just loved it. I hope you've been encouraged as we're going through, especially right now, the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you've been challenged too. I personally have been very challenged uh, by Jesus' teaching. Um, So we'll get back into Matthew. But I want to pause here and focus this morning 
on some critical questions for us as a community, in particular questions about who we are and questions about who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do here at Apostles. And so I want to invite you, if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible or grab your Bible app and uh, open up to Psalm 1, Psalm 1. This could be our starting point this morning, Psalm 1. So here at Apostles, we describe ourselves as a community following Jesus in Houston. And in that vision, there is an implied choice for all of us. That together, what we're saying is we are choosing to follow after this Jesus. And that choice is perhaps the most important choice that we will ever make in our entire lives. Our reading in Psalm 1 highlights the fact that life really is about this choice and that ultimately it's a very straightforward choice. Despite all the complexities around it, it is a simple choice. And the choice is articulated in verse 6 of Psalm 1. So I want you to look there with me. Psalm 6, or chapter 1, verse 6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So you've got two choices, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And Psalm 1 tells us that the righteous, on the one hand, they delight in the law. If you look at verse 2, they delight in the, the law, the Torah of the Lord God. And they meditate on it. They meditate on it day and night. Now, when we hear the law, we hear Torah, I think what immediately kind of comes to our minds is rules, right? Rules and regulations. That's the law. But I think a better translation of the law here of Torah would be teaching. It is the teaching of God that they meditate on day and night. In fact, I would say it's not just the teaching, it's actually everything that comes with the teaching. So when you encounter the word law in the scriptures, for example, you shouldn't just think of rules and regulations, certainly, or even just teaching. What you should think of is everything that comes with that in terms of God's call on his people and his plan for them and his relationship with them. Because that's how we encounter the law. So uh, John Goldingay, who's an Old Testament scholar, he puts it this way. He says, the Torah, the law, it shapes people into a community that walk in Yahweh's way as decisively as any commands. So what he's saying is, in other words, this is about how you see all of life. The way of the righteous is about all of life. It's about a life that trusts God completely and totally. It follows God. That's the way of the righteous. Now, there's also, on this hand, the way of the wicked. The way of the wicked. So when we hear the word wicked, I think, at least I tend to think of bad people who do really bad things. That's the wicked. But here in the psalm, the psalmist actually doesn't define wicked that way. He's saying that there are only two choices, right? There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, on the other hand. And so, in other words, anything that is not the way of the righteous is actually the way of the wicked. And he expounds on that in the beginning of the psalm. Sinners and scoffers, that's who the wicked are. And what they do is they actually, they, they simply put, tragically, 
They put themselves, their own way, they reject God and they ridicule his way of living. That's the way of the wicked that's described here. And so I raise that because what happens here is there's no in-between, right? There's no gray area here for the psalmist. There's the way of the righteous, and then there's the way of evil, of wickedness. Now, Jesus talks about this exact same choice in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this, talking about what it means to follow him. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way, and we've encountered this word before, and it's the same word that's in Psalm 1, the way, the hodos, right? The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way, the hodos, is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus himself affirms what the psalmist says here. There is, there's a choice. There's two ways, the way of the wicked on this hand and the way of the righteous on the other. And only one of these ways leads to life. Only one leads to life. The idea of following Jesus is, as a way of life is so um, central to the way the early church understood this call to follow him that they actually became called followers of the way. Again, we've, we've talked about this before. The, they became known as the followers of the hodos, the way. And as they took up this way of life that's expounded in Acts and all through the New Testament, what they discovered is that it's not just a road or a path or a journey you take. What they came to understand was what the psalmist knew and what Jesus knew was that this is a whole way of life. In other words, it's a journey that will lead us into growth and maturity in Christ. That is the way that the Lord is inviting us into. And this is something I think that's been lost in the modern Western church, this idea of following Jesus as a way of life. The Christian life, in other words, is not just a set of ideas that we believe in. Doctrine matters. Scripture, what it says, theology, thinking carefully about understanding God and who he is and his mission, all that matters. But it's more than that. Following Jesus is more than that. It's more than just a list of do's and don'ts. We're in the Sermon on the Mount right now looking at the ethic of the kingdom. That is so important. It tells us how we are to live as followers of Jesus. But following Jesus is more than that. It's more than about going to heaven when you die. It's more than about making the world a better place. Following Jesus is about life. That's what Jesus himself said. He said in John 10, 10, I have come... I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. So Jesus invites us into life, the life that we were created for, the life that we long for. And we can receive that life, the gospels tell us, by believing in Jesus. And again, believing is a word we get tripped up on. Because believing is not just about assenting to certain truths or wishful thinking, hoping something is true. To believe in Jesus is to put your trust in him and to commit your whole life to him. It's not something you just kind of add on to the side of your life. It is life. It's all of life. I love what G.K. Chesterton said in trying to capture this idea. He said, let your religion be less of a theory 
and more of a love affair. That is what life with Jesus is supposed to be like, not a theory, but actually captivate your heart at the deepest level. Jesus becomes everything to you. And so when you hear Jesus say, come follow me, you leave behind everything and you follow him. That's the kind of community that we're trying to be here at Apostles. A community following Jesus together here in our city. We don't want to be an institution. We don't want to be a club, a meeting, a building. We want to be a community following Jesus, orienting our entire lives about this person who has captivated our hearts. And so the question then is, well, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus together? The New Testament way of thinking about this uh, is what we call discipleship. Uh, Discipleship, a better word might be apprenticeship. We take up this life of apprenticeship to Jesus. And here at Apostles, we boil that down to three goals, right? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, to do the kinds of things that Jesus did when he was here on earth. Now, I wanna take just a few minutes and kind of look at each one of these for us as we think through where is God taking us from here. First, be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. This is what we just heard described in John 15. It's abiding in Christ. That's the call in our lives as followers of Jesus. It's what Paul describes as being in prayer continuously. It's the idea that we are cultivating in our souls, in the depths of who we are, an awareness of God's presence in our lives. I read um, the story of a guy named Frank Laubach this past year, and it struck me because he was really trying to take this practice seriously of being aware of God's presence in his life. And so what he did was he took his wristwatch, and every time the second hand hit the 12, he would pause during his day, and he would say, thank you, Lord, that you are here with me. Now just get your head around that. Every time the second hand hits the 12, every minute, once a minute, every day. And he did that for months. That's extreme, but he's trying to cultivate, right, this awareness, this deep awareness that God is with me. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, the compass needle of our life always should return to the true north, which is Jesus. That's who Jesus is to our lives. It's knowing that he's always with us. It's that beautiful prayer in our prayer book as we go to sleep that says, guide us waking and guard us sleeping. Knowing that every moment and every moment in between those moments, God is with us. His Holy Spirit is at work in us and around us. It's the belief, in other words, that this life that Jesus has offered us, that we can experience it. We can know life in Christ. So the first and most important step of a follower of Jesus is to be with Jesus. The greatest thing about following Jesus is Jesus. That's why last year we spent so much time, about this time of year, looking at this practice of silence and solitude, of just learning to be in the presence of Jesus. Not busy, but just be. To be still. To be quiet. To rest in his presence. To listen to him. I wonder how is that going? It's hard. It's a difficult practice. 
but we need to be with Jesus. We need him to teach us how to be with him. Our lives can get so busy, so busy, even filled with good spiritual things and activities. But so often we're really uncomfortable with this idea of just being still and being with Jesus. We desperately need him. And we need the power of Jesus' promise in 2820 to be, Matthew 2820, to be real in our lives. Remember what he said? Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. It's a promise that he's with us. So the first thing is to be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. The second one is to become like Jesus. Uh, we're all becoming like something. That's the way we're made as human beings. It's not a question of what or who will we follow or if we'll follow Jesus. It's, it's a matter of that we'll follow something or someone. We are wired that way. And so the question is, will we be intentional about following Jesus with our lives? Again, C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, every time you make a choice, right, the psalmist, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, that part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all the innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing of who you are into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that's in harmony with God and with other creatures and with yourself or in a state of war and hatred with God and with your fellow creatures, and with yourself. Again, the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. Those are the only two options. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. Lewis says it's joy, it's peace, it's knowledge, it's power. The other is madness and horror and rage and impotence and eternal loneliness. Jesus said destruction. Each of us at each moment is progressing, he said, towards one way or the other. It's a sobering thought to think about your choices, carrying that weight. But that's what Jesus said. We're all being shaped, in other words, by something. Our phones, our TVs, our habits, our rhythms, the people in our life, we are all being shaped by something. And the question is, will we be intentional about that something being Jesus Christ? I want to ask you this morning and throughout this year just to ask this question of yourself. What kind of person am I becoming? What kind of person am I becoming? Think about it this way. What if one year from now, you know, we just sang these words, Jesus, we love you, right? What if one year from now you could say with absolute confidence that you love Jesus more than you do today? Because you're more convinced of his love for you one year from now than you are right now. What if you were actually a more loving person with your neighbors one year from now? And you could absolutely with confidence see that that was true in all humility because of what God has done by his grace in your life. But you could say, I am becoming a person who loves God more and loves my neighbor more. What if you could say that? This is what we are aiming for in Christ. We can't do it ourselves, but he can do it in us. His Holy Spirit can shape us and form us into the likeness of Jesus. Not just for ourselves, but for the life of the world. 
become like Jesus. That's the second thing. And then third, we do what Jesus did. That's shorthand for we do the kinds of things that Jesus did. There was only one Jesus, and he did Jesus, right? But we do the kinds of things that Jesus did. He's called us to do those kinds of things. This is the fruit of apprenticeship. Think about it that way, right? We've talked about this before. If you think about apprenticeship this way, if you're an apprentice to an electrician, your goal is to eventually be able to wire a house yourself, right? If you're an apprentice to Jesus, your goal is eventually to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He prayed. He prophesied. He ate with people who were far from God. He taught God's truth and God's way. He sought justice in the world. He served the poor. He loved his heavenly father with all that he was, and he loved his neighbor. That is the goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's not just to know lots of things about Jesus, not just to gather here and talk about Jesus or sing about Jesus, but to become like him and to go out into the world and do the kinds of things that he's called us to do. We uh, here are Church of the Apostles. You know, apostles means sent ones, right? It means those who are sent, lowercase apostles, the ones who are sent out into the world to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be and to do is to go out and do what Jesus did. So be with, become like, and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And this is not a call to try harder and to do more, right? Don't hear that. That is not what we're saying. This is about letting God be the God of our lives and experiencing the fullness of his kingdom come in our lives and in our city. That's the longing of our heart. So that's who we are. We're a community following Jesus in Houston. Our goals as apprentices of Jesus are to be with him, become like him, and do the kinds of things that he did. So for 2020, those are our goals. Our goals are to become those kinds of people who live out that kind of life, that that would define who we are in our personal lives, in our family, in our community. Our goal, in other words, is to press into these all the more, not set new and different goals, right? To press into these because we wanna see our lives transformed. To ask hard questions, to wrestle with truth, to live in grace towards one another. Our desire is to be real with each other, right? To come here on a Sunday and not just smile and pretend it's all okay, even if it's not. You know, I love how Ryan invites us to worship from where we are, whether we feel it or not. That we would be a people who are living out with authenticity what it means to follow Jesus. That we're not putting up masks. That we're learning to actually live together this life. That we would mourn together, celebrate together. That we would live for our own good and for his glory in community. God wants to do deep, emotional, spiritual, physical healing in our lives. And that's happening together through one another in this community. And God wants to do more. God's offering us an abiding peace, a courage, a joy for anxiety-filled, anxious, riddled lives. And we need this. We need this, the church, 
to be the church. We need this because each of us is called to minister to each other in this way. I, I love how Henry Nouwen described the role of followers of Jesus in each other's lives. He called us wounded healers. That's who we are. We are wounded healers because we know the power of Christ in our own lives and we haven't figured it all out. We don't have all the answers. We're not perfect, but we're called to minister to others as those who know the power of God's healing in our lives. This is who Jesus is calling us to be, to be people who are with him and becoming like him and doing the kinds of things he did. And so as I prayed about this, um, and just prayed God to just kind of open this up for us. Really open us up uh, and free us to pursue you, to go all in on this mission in the next year. What would that look like? And I feel like God's given me some specific things, and I just want to kind of run through them quickly uh, this morning with you. And then we'll, we'll just continue to press into these things over the next 12 months and hopefully for many years to come. But um, there's four things. The first one is this, life groups. Life groups. To follow Jesus is to be part of his family. In other words, you cannot follow Jesus alone. You cannot do it alone. And it's not meant to be one day of the week. It's not even meant to be many activities during the week. It's actually meant to be lived out through the practices of Jesus in meaningful relationship with each other, where we're being intentional together about what is shaping us. And so we wanna make our homes places where these practices are taken up. We want to make our homes places where we gather together to live this life out, where they become places of hospitality and mission. God has placed you exactly where you are. Do you realize that? God has put you exactly where you are, the street where you live, the apartment number you have. He has put you there. He has placed you there to be a witness to who he is, that others might see him and come to know him. He has put you there. He's put all of us exactly where we are to be a compelling witness of grace. And so we want to live out that life, that calling together. And as a part of that, we want to cultivate shared leadership. This is why I think life groups are so important to our mission. Because this is not a call for David. <laughs> this is not a call for our staff. This is not a call just for the leadership council. This is a call for all of us to follow Jesus, to be with him, to come like him and do the things that he did. And we need each other to do it. You have specific gifts and abilities. You have a vision, a way of seeing. You have relationships that others in this room can never have. And God wants to use those in your life and for the sake of others. So life groups is a huge part of what God, I think, wants to do in the coming year. Second thing is, I think he wants to cultivate us as a community of prayer. A community of prayer. You know, scripture and history both reveal this, that revivals, you know, great moves of God, stirrings of God, um, always begin not with great leaders, not with extraordinary events. They begin with people seeking the Lord in prayer and repentance. When people are humbled and they are moved to take up the practice of ordinary, faithful, daily prayer. I was a young life leader for uh, many years and on staff with this ministry that does amazing work reaching high school kids with the good news of Jesus. You know how Young Life started in the 60s here in Texas? It started with a group of about four or five old ladies who lived across from a high school. And they began to pray for that high school to be reached with the good news of Jesus. It didn't begin with some great vision, right? It didn't begin with some big bang event. 
It began with people on their knees in their living room praying for God to move to reach the lost. I think if we're gonna really step into this, that we are gonna have to become a people of prayer. And we pray. We've seen God do great things through prayer, but there's so much more. And so I have a dream that when we call for prayer in our community, right, that the response would be overwhelming. That if we say, hey, we're gonna get together for prayer at this place and this time, man, Sunday morning would look like a low turnout. That's my dream, is that we are so hungry for prayer, so convinced of its power that 24 hours a day, that one day, 24 hours a day in this community, there would be prayer. Prayer all day, every day, because we're so convinced. And to get there, we need, we need a heart. We need God to give us a heart for prayer. And so we need to ask for that. We need training. We need opportunities to learn through practice. We need to create more space for regular corporate prayer and worship. We need to integrate prayer and worship across the ministries of the church. This isn't just about the prayer team. This is about all of us. Prayer is for all of us. We pray what the disciples said. Teach us to pray, Lord Jesus. So prayer. Third thing is a love for the lost. Cultivate in us, Lord, a heart that loves Jesus so much that our heart breaks for the lost, for those that don't know him, for those that don't have life with him and in him, that our heart actually breaks for those people in our lives, that we would invite people to experience true Christ-centered community in our homes, in our life groups, and so they can encounter God and, and encounter the God they do not expect. You know, so many people think they know who God and Jesus are in our culture right now, and the church has done a really bad job of showing who that Jesus is. And he's called us to live as faithful witnesses of who God really is. So we need to surprise people with the way that we follow Jesus. We're gonna use tools like Alpha, the marriage course, any tool that we can find that will help us cultivate that heart for the lost and to share Christ with them. And then the last thing is we wanna be a church that is committed to planting other communities. Planting other communities. So seeking the Lord together And asking him what this looks like is, I think, a critical call for us over the next year. This is a conversation we've begun having as a leadership council. It's a vision for planting. And what I mean by planting is seeing other communities grow up around this city. Seeing other followers of Jesus living out this call that we're describing here. These goals of being with and becoming like and doing what Jesus did. In other words, we're not looking to grow a big institution or franchise anything here. We're not looking for a big apostles to get bigger. What we're talking about is small communities scattered across the city that are growing up in neighborhoods and communities that desperately need a faithful witness for Jesus. So I think God is gonna do this. I think he's gonna create a family of what I would describe as interdependent communities. Communities where there's shared vision and value, shared leadership, shared resources, all for the sake of God's mission in our city and in our world. God is gonna call us to step out in faith. This will be hard, it will be costly. We cannot figure this out on our own, how to do this. We need the Lord to reveal how to do it and it will take all of us to understand what he wants for us next. And so it's gonna be a call for us to grow in faith, a call for us to step out in faith, to do the kinds of things we could never do without Jesus. And so we'll be talking more and praying more about that in the months ahead. So again, in short, all these things flow from that vision to be a community following Jesus 
here in Houston. And we're just saying, let's stay the course. Let's follow Jesus and let him lead us where he wants to take us. Let's be willing to do that, to step out in faith, to step out courageously and follow him. Now, after, um, just a minute, we're going to take communion. And after we do that, we're going um, to worship a little bit more, and then we're going to pause for two minutes, and then we're going to have a little meeting, a little family meeting after uh, our worship time. And if you're a guest, if you're a visitor here this morning, I want you to know you are more than welcome uh, to stay for that time uh, together. Uh, we'd love for you to get a glimpse into what God is doing and some of the things that we're going to talk about. But that time will be really important for us as a body, as a family here at Apostles. And so if, if you're a member, I want to say, please stay. And if you have to go, there's no shame. If you've got someplace you have to be and you have to go, but we've provided child care, we've got babysitters, we've got stuff for the kids to do. We're going to take them out. We're going to have time for us just to talk about some really important things. And I just want to highlight that because this is part of what it means to be a part of God's call on this church. It is going to take all of us, not just some of us, to live into this vision and this mission. And so I want to invite you to stay and to be a part of not just this uh, gathering after the service today, but really go all in. Go all in on this call to follow Jesus together in community. And let's see what God does. Let's see what God will do. If we will lay all this before him and ask, would you lead us? Would you lead us, Lord, into this next year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it all begins with your son, Jesus. God, we know, we know, we've tasted, we've experienced how good, how good Jesus is and how good life is in him. And so, Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done over the past year. Lord, we thank you for all the ways you've proved faithful, all the ways you've blessed us, encouraged us, comforted us, been with us. And Lord, we long to see and to know you more. Lord, would you help us to step into that place where we are dependent on you? Help us to, to really rest in you and to be with you and to listen to you that we know where to go and what to do as a community. Lord, we long to love you more. And we say thank you for your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.